0: You give Teller from Jerusalem 20 minutes, and he'll give you the education of a lifetime. King of the storytellers and the Shakespeare of the Torah world, here is Rabbi Hanok Teller.
1: Hello there in podcast land. Welcome to Teller from Jerusalem, and I'm your host, Hanok Teller. It is our great honor today to welcome to our show the well-known former member of parliament of Israeli Knesset, Rabbi Dov Lipman, a well-known author, a lecturer, and a great activist, all right. I'm not even positive where this is going today, but if we want to talk about character, I'm sure I've got the right person here. Uh, Rabbi Lippman has done a lot, especially in our current times. I want this to be for, for, for posterity, but right now, when people have difficulty coming to Israel, Israel has worked so hard to make sure that there shouldn't be this COVID disease, and therefore it's been very strict on who we lets in not to undo all that they've done. And this is where Rabbi Lipman, one of many, many things he's done to enable people who have to come together and join for weddings, family
0: celebrations, he's always there to be of help. So please, let's hear what you're doing. It's it's a fascinating challenge that everyone can think about at any stage of life. On the one hand, Israel is tasked with making sure that there's health in the country, and that means... Closing off the country. Why would we want anybody coming in from other countries and bringing in variants and other forms of corona? On the other hand, we want to be a place where everyone feels welcome. It's a Jewish state, welcoming to all. It's the the Holy Land for all these faiths. And we want it to be a place where people can come to. And the government has been challenged with trying to find this balance. I've been an advocate that you can find a way to preserve people's health while finding a safe way for more people to come into the country. And especially in a time where people have, as you mentioned, family celebrations. It's a wedding of a child who's come here. We have lone soldiers who are serving in Israel from all around the world and their families just want to give them a hug and be with them during trying times to try to find a way to advocate for them in the government and find a way to open the doors a little bit more while trying to preserve uh, the, the health risks and the health needs that Israel has. Let me ask you a
1: question because uh, this is very admirable and noble what you 're doing, but God willing this thing is going to be over the sooner the better, and then what are you going to do
0: so I actually founded an organization during this period of time called Yadla Olim, which means I hand to the new immigrants to Israel. There are many needs that not only people who have moved to israel have vis a vis the government but also Jews around the world and those who love Israel from all around the world and we have positioned ourselves to be their voice in the halls of government. So I can go into the Knesset and advocate for new immigrants, for policies that are favorable to them, for people all around the world who have, whatever their struggles are with Israel, uh, to be their advocates within the Knesset. And that's that's going to be our mission beyond Corona. Do you mean to say that the catalytic enzyme for this organization was COVID? There are some things that are coming out of Corona which are actually beneficial. I don't mean to make light of something which obviously has taken lives and has hurt people's health, but it exposed a need. It exposed the fact that you know, the government's making its decisions and it doesn't necessarily hear not because they're bad people but they don't hear the voices of especially people from all around the world and from the new immigrants to Israel so yes, it has been a catalyst for something very positive and it, it, it's amazing to me how God has opened up this opportunity because we are bombarded with thousands and thousands of people asking for help with a large, large range of issues and thank God I'm in a position where I can help
1: Okay. I, know. I just want to apologize to listeners. If you hear this very pastoral setting <laughs> with birds singing, we didn't. this is not artificial. It's actually legitimate because Rabbi and does so much work in the Knesset. We, uh, we're meeting in the shadow of the Knesset in the famous Rose Garden. We're, uh, we are being surrounded by birds who have a lot to say also, but I'm going to, sorry, birds, we'll interview you later. Please tell us. I understand you had a very interesting story of bringing someone to Israel, which was a story within a story with a tremendous backstory.
0: Could you please enlighten us? And it's a story which is going to have a very powerful message for eternity. So I got a phone call from a woman named Lisa Baron, who told me this story about her father, which was so shocking. You know, I was blessed to grow up. I had my parents. I knew who I was. I knew my birthday. I knew what sports teams I was going to root for because I lived in Maryland. Everything was just so obvious to me. Her father, whose name is Bernard Krutz, grew up in Poland, but... After the Holocaust, found himself as a young child uh, being taken care of by a Christian woman who saved him during the Holocaust. He has no idea how he got to her. He doesn't know that his parents gave him over to her, that she find him on the street. No idea. After the war, she said, I have a Jewish child in my hands in Poland, even though the Holocaust is over. This wasn't going to be a favorable situation that she uh, was, could be found, possibly indicate why they knew that she was. Okay, after the war was over, she says to herself, I have a child who has a circumcision, a boy who's clearly Jewish just from that uh, identity as uh, alone. And she said, I, there are people around who still hate the Jewish people. There's still a lot of anti-Semitism. I can't hold on to this Jewish child. And she found two Jewish women, gave this child over to them. They couldn't take care of him. They gave him over to a Jewish orphanage, which had hundreds, if not thousands, of Jewish children who were orphaned after the Holocaust. And a Jewish couple came and adopted him and took him as their own, but he still has no idea who his parents were, what his name was, when he was born, or where. And he grew up in Poland, uh, did some searching, tried to find family, did not succeed, eventually moved to America, uh, married, and his child, Lisa, she said her dream from the age of five was to find her father's family. And now in today's world of technology, through genetic testing, she convinced her father to do the DNA testing, and somehow someone knew about a woman in Israel who maybe came from a town, maybe this is a match, who knows, as God you know, puts the dots together. And they convinced this woman, Esti, in Israel to do a DNA test, and they were found to be first cousins. All of a sudden, this man finds out. Can you
1: elaborate a little bit more? Because I don't know how this testing works exactly. So. Just give us the scientific
0: background. Sure. I wish I could tell you all of the science, but they have a way of testing. It starts out with just with a cheek swab, actually, and they're able to put together all of your DNA, and they have the ability through the technology to figure out who you're related to. By the way, I've actually thought about doing this now that I heard about it because I'm a grandchild of a Holocaust survivor. Who knows? Who could be out there that we don't even know about uh, that could be in this bank of DNA testing? And all of a sudden, he knows that he has a first cousin. And... I got involved in the story because I'm helping people get into Israel. Uh, Israel had strict rules about corona and uh, travel into Israel. They weren't first-degree relatives, only first-degree relatives could come. So I was able to work with Dani Dayan of Yad Vashem and we were able to get permission for him to come into Israel. And this past Thursday uh, in Modin, in Israel, uh, we're sitting in a house and there's a knock at the door and Esti walks in and this man sees his first biological relative from his childhood, his first cousin. It was I, I've experienced emotional moments in my life. I, no one, no one wasn't crying in the room. The emotions were, it was incredible. And they sit down together, and she starts telling him who his grandfather was, who his grandmother was, who his parents were. And then Dani Dayan from Yad Vashem comes in and shows a testimony in Yad Vashem given by this Esti's mother. Esti's mother is this Bernard's father's sister, his aunt. She gave testimony after the war and said, my brother had a son, Beryl, who was killed in the Holocaust, and this is him. (laughs) This Bernard was Beryl, and he was identified in Yad Vashem as being killed, and here he is, alive and well with with children and child and grandchildren, and uh, Sivan Rav Meir, who's an Israeli journalist, covered the story and she said something very powerful, and this is the message I'm taking with me. She said, sometimes takes an entire lifetime to figure out who you are and that was very powerful just the idea of searching for who you are trying to figure out who you are and again this amazing story of people who never gave up hope on maybe there's somebody out there that I could connect to and it's also a message of family these two first cousins Bernard and Esti, they were the moment they met they were inseparable for hours. They <laughs> haven't met each other in their life, entire life. They couldn't be separated from each other because that's what family is. There was such a connection, an automatic, instantaneous connection. And like I, I heard that story, I was like, I have to call my sisters more often. I have to, yeah. I, we have to be close to our families because sometimes we take it for granted, but I saw what it means to be from the same grandparents and to be so close, and it was such a powerful moment and such an important lesson.
1: Oh wow, that is very touching. Uh, some of the listeners know a lot of my work concerns the Holocaust, and uh, there are many, many touching stories of people who reunited after the Holocaust, after assuming everyone was dead. So there's a story which we wrote about three brothers who, in the most providential, managed to meet, and they one was in Zurich, one was in America, one was in Israel, and it, it's a very, very interesting story, even somewhat comedic and how they ended up meeting. But it was all arranged finally, when it was proof that they were brothers. The three brothers were all survived. They met in the airport in Israel. One came in one flight, one came in another flight, and they let this fellow who was a taxi driver, they let him into the arrival terminal. And when everyone said that they called out to each other, and they embraced, and everyone in the terminal began applauding. And everyone understood right away what this must be. You see three people falling on each other and they understood this must be a a, a long-last reunion after the Holocaust.
0: Can you give us some parting words, please? I feel that this story, and even the work that I'm involved with, sheds a light on how I believe we're living in the most incredible of times, uh, that there's a state of Israel, that there's a homeland of of the Jewish people and people of faith all around the world, and so many remarkable things uh, can come from that. Uh, My grandmother... I could start with her, or end with her. Uh, when I told her that we were moving to Israel, I was very scared to tell her. She's a Holocaust survivor. Here she was, living in the golden years of her life, enjoying her grandchildren, her great-grandchildren, and now I'm telling her we're picking up moving thousands of miles away. And I said, Bubby, I have some news for you. God willing, this summer, Dina, myself, the kids are moving to Israel. And I was prepared for her to be so angry. I, I like to say I was prepared for the wrath of Bubby, who <laughs> didn't have political correctness. It just said things the way it is. She paused, and then she said in Hebrew, and I'll translate, she said Baruch Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam She said, Blessed art thou our Lord, Lord of our Fathers, who has kept me alive and brought me to this great day. I said, Bobby, where did that come from? And she explained for her, as someone who lost most of her family in the Holocaust, exterminated and murdered in the gas chambers of Auschwitz, she somehow miraculously survives, And now she said, I have a grandchild and great-grandchildren who are moving to the land of Israel, the place that we dreamt of, that we said in the, in Auschwitz, we said, L'Shanna Habbab Yerushalayim, next year in Jerusalem, and now you're going to be there? And she said she has nothing but thanks to God. And then she came here. She met me in my Knesset office when I was a member of Knesset. And she said, Dovola, this doesn't make any sense. (laughs) <laughs> a Jewish state, Israel, a Jewish capital, Jerusalem, a Jewish parliament, the Knesset, my grandson is a member, it doesn't make any sense, and she's right. We are so blessed to live in a time where open prophecies are coming true. You open up a Bible, you know, for 2,000 years, every, every Sabbath, they opened it up and they read the prophecies, and they believed a time will come when we'll return to the land and the land will reflourish. They believed it. We don't have to believe it. It's happening right in front of our eyes. And that affords so many incredible opportunities that I just feel so blessed that I can play some small role in all of that. All of us who live here and all people who love Israel, support Israel around the world are part of the greatest story in world history. And and to play some part of that and be able to look at your grandchildren and say, yeah, I was part of this. I was part of God's prophecies coming true. We still have a long way to go to the ultimate fulfillment of the prophecies, but sometimes you have to pinch yourself and say, am I really living through this? Am I really experiencing this? And so in all of my advocacy, whether it was in the parliament or out of the parliament, Parliament and, and Yad Lim's work today, I view it as such a blessing that I can be part of this incredible story. And, and to everyone who's listening, in any way that you can be part of what's happening in Israel, you get to be part of that blessing as well. And that's my parting message, ultimately, uh, to everyone, is, is attach yourself in one way or another uh, because there's no greater blessing than to be part of the fulfillment of God's prophecies.
1: Thank you so much. You reminded me of a story. I had a very close friend, Dr. Benji Krupka. Uh, His parents were Holocaust survivors. And he was a little boy. I don't know. I hope I don't do disservice to the story. When I say a little boy, he was clearly not more than a teenager. And they went to the Israel Day Parade on Fifth Avenue in in New York. And there's his father, you know, a fellow who obviously is what we call the Yerupshe. He came from Poland, as did his mother. And he's wearing his holiday finery. He said, to his father, he said, what are you wearing? <laughs> a tie and a suit, Israel Day Parade, it's a Sunday in May, everybody's wearing jeans, and he said, you know what this is? When we were lying in the ground, didn't know if we'd ever make it out alive, and we were able to see that there's a state of Israel, and people are marching pr- proudly, connected to it, and then he couldn't even finish the sentence, he just drowned in tears. Uh, that, that is something that uh, I don't know if today's generation can even appreciate. Rabbi Beryl Wein tells the story. When Israel uh, was established in May 1948, there was a meeting in Chicago. I I wish I remembered the name of the Chicago auditorium or some important, uh, probably, uh, sports arena. And uh, he said all of Jewry was there. Religious, not religious, very much not religious, very, 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 very religious, but Chicago then. And he said, that they started the whole event and Golden Meir spoke there. They started the whole event by raising the Israeli flag and it was already halfway up, going up, its mast. Everybody was doubled over in tears. Oof. As Rabbi Wein said, it's a sardonic humor. They would have been well advised to stop the program right there, before the speeches. But, <laughs> but I appreciate that for my father also. I could just see him just doubling over in, in in tears over just seeing that flag going up after all they went through. Okay, I think our time has almost lapsed. I thank you very much for joining the program. I thank you for all your work. I commend you on your work. I congratulate you. Thank you so much, Rabbi Lipman.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening
1: to Teller from Jerusalem, where this series takes an intelligent and thought-provoking look at the past in order to acquire a perspective on the present. Spread knowledge by giving us a five-star review, and tell your friends to subscribe. Join us next time for a brand new episode, and be sure to visit TellerFromJerusalem.com you can find more details about the show and other useful information. Check out the site store and just by inserting the TFJ code, you'll receive an additional 10% discount off the already very reduced prices of Ulchanoch Teller products, books, lectures, and documentaries. And remember, don't forget. You can get Teller from Jerusalem on any podcast platform or go to tellerfromjerucerum.com.